Welcome to Table Radio. This is the third theme in our Rooted series, Outreaching Love. The following is Jonathan's sermon from our Big Table service on Sunday, November 8th. Enjoy. Gospel reading tonight comes from Gospel according to John, chapter 15, beginning at verse 9. And Jesus is in a room with just his disciples, and it's before his betrayal and his rest. So it's that last night, and he's speaking these words to them. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. God, would you make these words that you have spoken root in our hearts? Would you bless Jonathan as he speaks to us tonight? And would you open up these scriptures that we would understand them? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Andy. I I did ask Andy to read excellently, which he did, and I appreciate that. Uh, At our last Kaleo meeting that some of you may have been at, Vanessa led us through a passage from Colossians in which Paul encouraged the church to let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. And it was interesting to me to see that when people shared on what the passage was saying to them, many focused on this word, let. And I guess I found it interesting because that is what had jumped out to me as well, to let or allow the peace of God rule in our hearts. And it got me to reflecting on how in my young adulthood, I used to consider myself and others considered me to to be a pretty chill person, let's face it, a dude, pretty easygoing. I didn't let a lot of things bother me. I kind of had a motto to just let it slide like water off a duck's back. And it was nice, uh, if I'm being honest. I never had to worry about stuff. I never got stressed out. I certainly had no idea or understanding of what it meant to have anxiety Uh, My response to anyone saying they battled with anxiety would literally have been, well, then just don't have it. Just don't worry about stuff. Don't let it 
bother you. And life was good back then. It was easy. It was comfortable. And I was pretty carefree with just letting things slide. But at Kaleo, when we were reflecting on that passage from Colossians, I was reflecting on how letting things slide is not the same as letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart. What letting things slide really meant was not letting myself care. And my response to people who did care was very insensitive. And the truth is, I wasn't always like that. I was pretty emotional when I was really young. But growing up in a country where it was even taught in school to have a stiff upper lip, I got tired of showing what was considered weakness. And so, just as Simon and Garfunkel put it so well, I built walls, a fortress, deep and mighty that none can penetrate, a carefree, happy place. And that took some time, but by the time I was a young adult, I had decided to become this strong, silent type. And many people viewed me that way, and many people still view me that way. But I will tell you that since accepting a call to ministry, God has made it clear that this carefree fortress is not going to work. And for the last seven years since I started full-time ministry, it feels like my fortress has been under siege. Any good fighter will point out, it isn't always the knockout punch that wins the battle. Sometimes it's just a constant barrage of small jabs that break them down. And it feels like for the last seven years, Becky and I have been under a siege from a constant barrage of small jabs. And it is breaking me down. And I'm not impenetrable anymore, and things don't roll off my back. They hurt. A couple years ago, I got permission from Josh and Andy to speak at the table's Kaleo Leadership Retreat about our mission at Table Peninsula and invite you all to come and help me and Anna in our mission to share Jesus' love in our neighborhood. It was meant to be a sales pitch of sorts, I was supposed to try to get you all excited about how awesome it is at Table Peninsula, how awesome it would be if you came there with me or even just for a little while. But I'd also just found out that one of the young men who had been coming and was learning about Jesus had died uh, from a drug overdose. And I was processing all of this and I was hurting. And so instead of this enthusiastic sales presentation, I ended up crying <laughs> and it sucked. <laughs> And it was so embarrassing, and it, it was the worst sales pitch of all time. And none of you came, <laughs> which, which also sucked, if I'm being honest. But this isn't all bad, because what it shows is that God has been doing his work in me. He's been breaking down walls. He's been transforming me. And this is necessary, because it has better equipped me for the task to which I've been called, as a leader in the church, as a pastor, a shepherd, a caregiver, someone who has to care and let himself feel for others. And last month we looked at how God transforms us. And this is just part of the story of how he's been transforming me, but why do I share it with you this week? Because he's done it for a purpose, not just to benefit me, not to make me a better version of myself. He's done it for a purpose to do the work to which he's called me. In our Rooted series that we started in September, we've been talking about how God speaks 
through his word and the revelation of his son, Jesus. And because of this, we long to be Christ-focused and word-centered, for apart from the living Christ proclaimed in Scripture, there is no hope. God speaks, and if we listen and recognize his voice, we need to respond. And God transforms. And we've talked about how we long for an inward-growing faith, that we might internalize the truths of Scripture and grow in our knowledge of the living God through study, prayer, community, sacraments, and personal devotion. We discussed how because we live in what these days is so obviously a fallen world, and because of our own naturally sinful natures, change is necessary, but through Jesus, change is possible. And if we turn to Jesus and spend time marinating, as Andy put it, in him, in word, in sacrament, in worship, in prayer, in community with his body, the church, change is inevitable. Today we're going to be taking a look at another one of our roots, which is a response, I think, to these two roots of our faith. Last Big Table, Josh shared the story of the demon-possessed man whose life was transformed when he encountered Jesus and how this man asked Jesus to follow him. But Jesus said no, and instead he sent him on a mission to go and tell people about him and what he had done. And Josh pointed out how this kind of made this man the first missionary. The title we've given our next rooted belief is that God's kingdom came. One way to describe God's kingdom is the place where God's will is done. And the summary of God's will, as we just read, is that we love God and love our neighbor. And so one of our core longings is that we long for an outreaching love. For apart from authentic act of service, there is no true religion. Faith apart from works is dead, as James wrote in his letter to the early church. Our actions are a sign of our faith. And therefore, our faith should, has to, initiate a response, just like it did in that demon-possessed man whose life was transformed when he met Jesus. So what is that response? It's to care, to love. It's love, to love God and love our neighbor. And in our reading today from the Gospel according to John, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Live. Remain in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide. You will live and remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus calls us to love, to love him, to love one another. And that's our longing for an outreaching love. But in the same conversation, perhaps even in the same breath, Jesus continues with how, saying, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, that we would bear fruit that should live, remain, essentially last. And so we see that obedience to Jesus' commandment to love one another involves an element of mission, of going to be sent out to love. And this conversation, as Andy introduced, is a culmination of Jesus' teaching in John. It's the Gospel of John's version of the Great Commission. In the Gospel according to Matthew, Jesus commissions his disciples. He calls, he charges, he tasks them, whatever you want to call it, in the same way saying, go therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says he'll be with them always, and shortly after that, he sends the Holy Spirit to be with them in order to help them to follow this commission. And then we see this commission being followed in the book of Acts. In Acts, we see Peter all of a sudden sharing the gospel in a public square. In Acts 2, we see the early church, the followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right away, the early church devoted themselves to transformational growth through study, prayer, community, sacraments, and personal devotion. But it was so that they were being equipped to share the good news about Jesus. And because of this, people were being added to their number every day. People were being saved every day. A professor of mine once told me that the purpose of the church is glorification, edification, and mission. Now, I've learned that if you use words that end in ification, it sounds like you're trying to sound smart. I promise you I'm not. In fact, the truth of that story is I actually forgot those words the first time he told them to me and had to go back and ask him to repeat them. But I risked looking stupid in front of that professor because I felt that what he said was important. And I agree. The purpose of the church is glorification, worshiping God, loving God, edification, being spiritually fed, built up, and growing as disciples, loving each other, so that we might be equipped for mission, so that we might share what we have with others, loving our neighbors. And our mission, as I'm sure many of you know, at the table is to love God, love each other, and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. And most of our original DNA is based on the passage I just read through from Acts, as well as Jesus' summary of the law. Is that fair to say, Josh? Yeah. So how are we doing in our commission to share, to reveal Jesus to and with others? Are we doing what we can? As Josh mentioned in his talk last time, very often many of us, if not all of us, must confess that at times we can be complacent in this mission. All of us here can be and are. The idea of making an intentional effort to do this in our day-to-day, everyday lives often feels intimidating or overwhelming or exhausting or even just not interesting. This last summer, I ordered cable, which I don't usually have, but I did so I could watch the hockey playoffs. And I asked my three-year-old daughter, Adeline, if she would like to watch with me. And she said no. And I said, why not? And my three-year-old daughter replied, eh, it's not really my thing. (laughs) And I understand, watching sports instead of cartoons wasn't really my thing either when I was three. 
But as I grew up, it became my thing. People change. We just spent a whole month talking about that. When I hear the phrase, outreaching love, it immediately makes me think of missionary work, outreach, evangelism. And I've never really considered myself very good at these things. The idea of them often make me feel intimidated, overwhelmed, exhausted, or even just uninterested. uninterested. They're not really my thing. And in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he writes that God gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. God gave us all different gifts. And so there was a time I found relief in saying, well, I'm not a good evangelist. It's not really my thing, so I guess I'm one of the other things, which is kind of true. I'm probably more suited to teaching. But we should take note that in the same breath, Paul explains that the church has been given these different gifts to equip the saints, all of you, all of us, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So we should be careful not to overemphasize that not everyone is given the spiritual gift of being an evangelist and not give in to the idea that outreaching love may just not be our thing. Because this can lead to this complacence, passivity, and only focusing inward on ourselves. And there are plenty of examples of Jesus warning about those things. Our mission as a church is to love God, and I hope we do a good job of that. And to love each other. And I think we are pretty happy with the sense of community that we have built here. In fact, it could be observed at times that we may celebrate our community a little too much at times. To the point that at times we are at risk of making community a bit of an idol. And we need to remember that our commission is not just to live life with one another, not just to have a good time together. We see in the account from Acts that this was a very important part of the church, but if you look at our mission statement and its relation to Jesus' summary of the law, the distinction between loving one another and loving our neighbor is the part that we actually added. And I say there are very good biblical reasons, as we see in Acts, to point out this distinction and what it means to our mission. I'm not criticizing our mission. I've been doing my best to follow it for 10 years. But we do at times forget to pay attention to the fact that our mission as a church is also to bless our neighbors or love our neighbors, as Jesus puts it, which many of us are doing in our daily lives. But it could be argued that this is something that doesn't always get as much of our intentional focus. And we could spend more time remembering that the table is not just another church, that we're not even registered as a church. We're registered as a missionary society. That's what we were planted to be, right? I'll just I'm put the blame on him. A gospel-formed community of priests on mission to love each other, to love God, love each other, and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. And this is why we have a focus on discipleship, faith development, and all the great things that Josh and Andy and Vanessa have been doing at Kaleo. But they're for a purpose. It's not just for personal growth to make us better versions of ourselves. It is so that we might be better equipped for our mission, our call to outreaching love. 
for apart from authentic active service, there is no true religion. Our church places a lot of value on the sacrament of communion. We, we love to enjoy celebrating communion together. I've shared before, I don't know if you've all heard it, that the Roman Catholic Church refers to this celebration as the Mass. It's from the Latin item missa est, which means, go, you are sent. We gather together as a church so as to be sent. And this is why we often pray after communion, God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies as a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. And we conclude our gathering with go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Now, as a church, we are doing this in many ways. As I say, Street Hope is a perfect example. Living Edge is another. Conversations is a great opportunity. Inviting your friends and neighbors to table events like barbecues and man camp, or just on hikes with some of your table friends, as I see, or just over to dinner with some of your table friends. These are all examples of things we're doing really well, and it's awesome. So I'm not up here to try to make accusations. It's just a reminder, but also a challenge, because I'm sure that it is still challenging for all of us. I do hope that none of this is making anyone feel guilty. That's not my intention. But if you do find this challenging, know that you're not alone. We're all in the same boat. And we are all not alone because Jesus knew that this would be hard for all of us. And that's why in the same conversation that we've been reading from the Gospel of John, we read that Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus promised and sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper in this challenging task. God's kingdom came so that God's will could be done. This is a great comfort for those who may feel unsure or challenged by this. Jesus is telling us that when we go and follow our commission, we're not alone. God is with us. He sent his Holy Spirit to be our helper. And Acts 4 provides an account of Peter and John's appearance before the authorities, the same authorities that they were hiding from just a little while earlier, because they were the ones who were connected to executing Jesus. So when they did, they were feeling uncomfortable, probably afraid. But John and Peter, who threw out the Gospels, is notorious for sticking his foot in his mouth every time he speaks. They stand up in front of these authorities, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, boldly and eloquently tell them about Jesus. This is what Jesus taught his followers to do, to share the good news about him with others. And while we can be empathetic to the fact that at times we are all complacent with our commission to do this and can be forgiven for feeling intimidated, overwhelmed, exhausted, uninterested from time to time, we can't just accept that as the way it is. It's not okay to come to church and pray and worship and enjoy communion and fellowship with each other and then just forget about the mission stuff because it's too hard, because it's not our thing. We can't just let it slide. And as I shared earlier, when I found out that this young man had overdosed, I was heartbroken. And in this case, it wasn't because I was sad for myself that 
I was never going to see him again. To be honest, I personally didn't know him well enough for that. But I was heartbroken because this young man was in the process of being transformed by Jesus. He was trying to turn his life around and doing a good job of it. He was coming to know Jesus. He was asking about being baptized. And so when I found out that he had slipped and fallen, I was shocked because there was so much potential for joy. But it ended in tragedy. And those who knew him best believed he had a faith and so were left trusting in God's mercy. But also remembering that life is precious and fragile and can be taken away at any moment. Death is real. The only thing certain in life is that we will all die. But we don't know when. A few weeks ago, Becky and I met a young man who came to do some work at our house. And we were both so impressed with what a good and hard worker he was, but mostly with how friendly and kind and gracious he was with us. We were quite nervous about the work he was there to do. We were so impressed by him. He was this young, handsome young man, full of charisma, full of light. And then a couple weeks later, we clicked on a post on Facebook, and there he was. And he, he had died in an accident on the, on the job. And Becky and I just couldn't believe it. We were like, no, not him. And how could a light like that be gone? And we're still heartbroken because it's not fair. And it's scary and it's tragic. And it's shocking and sad. But it's a reminder of how fragile life is and that it can be taken away at any minute. Death is real. And today, or this week, uh, we're about to celebrate Remembrance Day and we remember and honor those who gave their lives for the freedom that we now enjoy. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And we're still in a pandemic where hundreds of thousands of people have lost their lives to a disease we still don't understand. It seems hopeless, but there is hope. We have hope because we have been saved from death through Jesus. And as I've said many times, this is not good news. It's almost a bad word for it. It's amazing news. And it needs to be shared because we can't hide this light under a basket or hide it behind these walls. We can't keep it to ourselves. It needs to be shared with those who need to hear it. It is a matter of life and death, even if it's not really our thing. Now, as I said, watching hockey isn't my three-year-old's thing, but during one game, she did come, and she sat on my lap and watched the entire game with me, and it wasn't because it's her thing, it's because she loves me. And as her father, that is a memory that I will cherish for the rest of my life. And when we do the things that are not our things for our Father, for God, He feels the same way. <laughs> God has been breaking down my walls. Uh, but it's to equip me. It's to care about things. And though I'm not carefree anymore, and it's made life a bit difficult, it's made this difficult, <laughs> I'm able to let 
the peace of Christ rule in my heart because I know ultimately God is in control of my life and that ultimately he has saved me from the things that might cause worry in this life. And that peace is something that I now feel I need to share with others, even though for many years doing so wasn't my thing. And God has transformed me so that I now care about whether others know that peace, that saving love of Jesus. I care about whether others are being saved, not just thinking about it and reflecting on the theological importance of missiology, but caring about people, about God's children. God cares. At the kids' table, we teach the kids the story of the shepherd who leaves his flock in the paddock to go searching for the one sheep that was lost. And he searches through thickets and brambles. He searches and searches and puts in not just some effort, but all of his effort to find this one sheep. And when he does, he's overjoyed. God cares, and he wants us to as well. And I know sometimes we let ourselves not care as much. We let things slide. We do get complacent. It's easier. It's more comfortable. But if you let God do his work in you, transform you, he will and he will equip you to care so that we can fulfill our commission, our calling as a gospel-formed community of priests on mission to go in peace and love and serve the Lord, loving God, each other, and our neighbor, so that we may see Jesus revealed. He will equip us to be able to do so, not out of guilt or obligation, but out of faith and understanding our faith and a response to it, not out of guilt or obligation, but out of heartfelt desire, not guilt or obligation, but out of desperation, out of love. Jesus says, this is my commandment, love one another as I have loved you. I chose and appointed you that you go and bear fruit. Let's pray. And if God is speaking to you about this, listen. Listen and respond. Don't go home and let it slide and do nothing about it. Go home and pray about it and listen some more and see what God would have you do and continue to pray that he would transform you and your heart and mind towards his purpose and let him do it. Don't resist. So let's pray. Lord, We confess that we do struggle with this calling and that we do. We feel intimidated, overwhelmed, exhausted, sometimes even uninterested. Lord, change our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we invite you in to work in us, to change us. And Lord, we know that your doing this will be difficult. But here we do present ourselves as living sacrifices. Lord, we let you do this work in us. We ask you to transform us and equip us for the work you've called us to do, to share your outreaching love with those around us. Mighty God, our Savior, you desire that none should perish. And you've taught us through your Son that there is great joy in heaven over every sinner who repents. Grant that our hearts may ache for the lost and broken world. May your Holy Spirit work through our deeds, works, words, and prayers, that the lost may be found and the dead made alive, and that all your redeemed may rejoice around your throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, BC. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, and can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. That's why we praise you. Savior of the world, you restore the broken soul. Flood us with your hope.